right. Boom shakalaka. Okay, so we have a lot of things to update on. Yes, we are doing our fit quest, right? Our our personal fit quest today. Yes, yes. And so I wanted to catch up with you and find out how you were feeling after no power. And that made us think about sleep health. And then it made me think about a couple other topics, which we'll see how far down the rabbit hole we get today. All right. Sounds good. I'm kind of excited about this because, I mean, sleep is obviously a big thing for young parents. Uh, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. You have a 17-month-old and a seven-year-old? Almost seven. Almost seven. Almost seven. She keeps reminding us of. She's like, I got five weeks until my birthday. I got to get ready. I'm like, it's five weeks, not five minutes. Which is awesome. I mean, there's they get so excited about things that are in the future, and, and they they continue to remind you like every single day, like it's the most important thing because to them it is the most important thing that you have to realize. It's all relative, right? I mean, is it? You know, because to us, like to to me, sometimes I feel like like my kids' excitement is like say on their birthday which they're they're so so excited for right and to us as parents it's just another like task on our task list kind of thing but to them it's like their whole world for like a month is like it's like their birthday and uh it's really cool like you really need to put yourself in their feet and understand really how excited they are because like that's their whole life like they're just they're not they they've never experienced thirty five birthdays or anything like that, so it's a, it's just an interesting uh, perspective to take. Yeah, well, I'm gonna give you a good dad fist bump because it's good. Th- that's a good sign when your kids are excited about their birthday parties. Doesn't know doesn't always happen, you know. That's very true too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, gosh, I remember when I was little thinking about what I wanted to do for my birthday like a week after my previous birthday for for a long time like especially if I had a really epic birthday party yeah really epic I was like oh my goodness next year we're gonna bump <laughs> it up to 11 <laughs> you remember like uh I still I think I actually have like a favorite birthday party that I remember doing and it was probably the most expensive one my parents ever did too and the most stressful one as well Honestly, do you remember like one of your favorite? Do you have like a top birthday party or birthday celebration or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, my top few are always I was a big amusement park guy. Yeah, and, same. And so going I remember this one birthday party. So I live in like the D.C. area. There's right now it's called Six Flags. But it used to be called uh, Wild World and then Adventureland after that. And this is like 30 years ago. Um, And I remember going and there was just this simple roller coaster called the Python. And all it was, it just went straight down and then there was a loop and then straight up and then you went backwards. And I was like 47 and a half inches tall, but (laughs) it was my it was my birthday. And uh, and you had to be 48 inches. Yeah. And the roller coaster operator, like, like just, he was like, eh. and then my dad was like, it's his birthday. I'm sitting next to him. It's fine. And like, and this is like 1991 or something like that. And yeah. he was like, all right, sounds good. You can go. And I, I just remember like that being uh, like, I'm too short and I'm on this roller coaster and it's my birthday. And I just remember that being like, awesome. 
Uh, yeah, like you get an exception on your birthday. That's cool. <laughs> That's yeah. My, my uh, favorite birthday was was similar, actually. I went to, it, it was like a local amusement park. I don't know if it actually still is going, but uh, it's, it was called Castles and Coasters. I feel like it's still going. It was called Castles and Coasters in Arizona. Okay. And it had it had like one big roller coaster that I was finally big enough to go on. I remember I remember like thinking about am I going to be tall enough? Am I going to be tall enough? Am I going to be <laughs> tall enough? And then they also had this epic arcade. Oh yeah. And I don't know, maybe now if I went back it wouldn't be as epic, so part of me doesn't really want to know. <laughs> right. You know? But the way it was set up then, from what I remember, is it had, it had like the coolest, biggest screen games. I, at that time, it was like Mortal Kombat. I feel like, oh yeah, um, in this in this circular esque arena inside of of the castle, the, the where you get your tickets and all this other stuff and refreshments and all that. Yeah, and this. And so the at the bottom of the circle, it would funnel upwards and have like circular steps, and then they would have more arcade games on those, and then up and more circular steps and arcade games. It was just this arena of arcade game. I, I felt like peak arcade at that point in time. Basically. Yeah, I would go there today. That sounds amazing. Doesn't that sound amazing? Right? It makes me wonder if it was that amazing, but it felt it was like that to me then. You true, know, true, right. Now, I remember, like it was like picking a fight. You'd be like, "Hey, play some Mortal Kombat." <laughs> Mortal Kombat was one of my favorite games back then. Uh, I won won a tournament uh, at a, my karate studio uh, for a Mortal Kombat one time. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, for those, you need to play some Mortal Kombat on your Super Nintendo next time we come over. <laughs> we definitely could because I still have it and I have two controllers oh, and I'm ready. Okay, now are the controllers? equally um reactive would you say so the controllers are 30 years old i would say the player two controller might have a button that sticks here and there but but that's a no lift kicks you can use that one and i'll use the player one controller right (laughs) i don't kick i don't kick anyhow shoot hadoukens true Hey, you know what? So when when we when you have like these exciting moments, like your birthday or whatever, like how much sleep are you getting going into like that that next day? Like if it's your birthday and you're super excited, you how much sleep do you think you get? Oh no, yeah, which is one of the, barely any I remember. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I'm trying to convince my daughter that. Five weeks is a while, so she doesn't like stay up every night anticipating her birthday <laughs> right now. That's very true, right? Right. Well, but but if you get that sleep, like if you don't get any sleep and you're going to the amusement park next day, you don't really notice though. As a kid, no. As a as kid, a parent, yes. As a parent of a kid, true. If it's not your expectation of like an awesome day. Then, then no. But if like you're super excited about that event, then it, it's like it's weird. Like you get this like little super superpower for the day of, of sleep. Where, but I feel like the next night you you pay for it a little bit. Oh, you're gonna have to pay the piper eventually. Yeah, I think adrenaline is a is a strong drug. In yeah, this, in this matter, I would say. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You'll eventually pay the piper. I mean, as a kid, you don't really pay attention to your sleep quality very much so i couldn't tell you like if i had bad sleep or whatnot afterward right 
you know, nor can I remember almost 30 years ago. <laughs> but I can't remember a week ago. Right. But speaking of, how how are you feeling? Because I wanted to know, because you had a little you had a little snafu yesterday with the power going out and everything. How are you feeling? How's everything going? Are the kids uh did the kids get any sleep? Did you get any sleep? So the the power went out yesterday at like five PM. Uh and we everyone went to bed at normal time. Uh, but the kids started getting uh, like got up probably ten times between uh sleep time and midnight. Uh the power the power didn't turn on till about two AM or so. Uh, so there wasn't too much sleep going on till about two. And then I just didn't get very much sleep between like two and five. And then I was up. Uh, and and so, so how am I feeling? You know, I'm feeling a little tired. And so this is what I was kind of saying earlier is uh, having like an expected bad. So like, if you know, you're going to the beach tomorrow, like that next day, you get that super, that, that like superpower. And I like how you said, it's probably adrenaline, or something like that that pushes you through that. Um, but uh, like to tonight, I I definitely feel like extra tired because that whole experience yesterday. I think it was because maybe of the experience and and just not expecting to have a bad night's sleep and really like there's no excitement in the morning. It's like I'm double tired. And, yeah. And even though those two in those two instances, I might get the same amount of sleep, like only a couple hours of sleep. Um, but I, I like my my tiredness is so much higher. And I think that that's kind of like an interesting way to look at it, because you can get the same amount of sleep, but have two different reactions when you wake up. Yeah, your mindset going in or your expe- expectations, basically how you set up your expectations going into your sleep. I think expectations, man, I think not just sleep i think that has ramifications for a lot of different health outcomes honestly i wonder it makes me wonder if there's any research on people's expectations about their health and then maybe like long term i guess results of their health you know like if you ask somebody what their expectations are in regards to their health and then you test them later and see what their health looks like their health status looks like later yeah, I'm sure there are little things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm recalling this study that was in my NASM training uh, mm-hmm. uh, that I took about six months ago. And it was about people who start who commit to a training program uh, mm-hmm. with a specific goal. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it didn't matter what type of training program they threw at you like in, in for example, it didn't matter if it was a muscle building program, a fat loss program, uh, or anything like that. The, it was just your mindset going into that. So if your mindset was, I was going to lose, I was going to gain muscle, then like that, that was the, the study. And, and it did show uh, a little bit of, um, of evidence towards the fact that your mindset going into it has a lot to do with the outcome. Um, now studies are, you know, are here and there with things. Um, but I've always felt that like from my personal experience, I remember my friend and I, when we were young, maybe 10, 15 years old, we would always say, man, I can make myself not get sick by just having a great mindset. You know, that's a really good point. I actually kind of believe 
You know, it's funny because when I say I believe in it, I re- it reinforce the uh, the expectation in yeah. my own brain. But I do, I really do think that makes a big difference. I actually think um, I actually worry about the opposite with myself sometimes because I'm I'm so this going back to our previous episode on personality. I'm so low on the neurotics uh, personality score. Mm-hmm. And it makes so much sense to me because really the only thing I worry about a lot of times is not paying attention to the negative things enough. Right. When negative things can be really good markers that you're going the wrong direction or doing doing something wrong, right? Right. Which actually I kind of want – I'll tell you after we get off sleep a little bit, that, that has to do with my, my skin and gut health uh, revelation recently. Oh, okay. Um, I, what else do we want to talk about with sleep, though? I yeah. kind of want to give, give people a little heads up on on sleep today, like why it's so important and and how you – like, here we go. How do you adjust your exercise and your training to accommodate for lower sleep, especially when you're a parent of young kids, for example? You know, like how is that going to affect – your new program that you're working on right now, because we were talking about both of us getting onto new programs right now. I love this because this has a lot to do with my, my new program. Right. Okay. So let's go, let's go over your new program. Then we'll talk about like what you would do if you're low in sleep, for example, with your new program. Okay. So, yeah. So, so right now I have had pretty uh, lack of energy uh, since I came back from a couple of vacations um, and I've also been watching both kids uh, full time, um, and and my sleep has been. Uh, and it's summer, so your kids are not in school or daycare or anything like that. Exactly. So I'm yeah, I'm watching them all day, every day. Until I mean, my wife obviously helps, but she she works and I'm not, and so that's a obviously that's forty hours at least during the week. Um, so, and my sleep has been just so, so, I mean, I'm a parent of, like I said earlier, of a three-year-old and a six-year-old. I mean, I've had six years of so, so sleep. So, uh, <laughs> isn't it crazy when you think of that, by the way? Right. Right. And, but I feel great. I'm not going to lie. And so how am I changing my workout program because of my lack of sleep and kind of my lack of energy right now? Right. Kind of like your new season of fitness right yeah. now. Exactly. Cause I, I hit, I hit a peak before I went to the beach right. uh, where I was in great, I felt really good. I, I was amped up. I had tons of energy. I was the lowest weight I've been in like 10 or 15 years. Um, and, and I was still, I felt fairly strong in a way. And anyway, so net, but now my energy is pretty low. I've had two sessions of workout. So two, four week programs of workouts in between my, uh, my beach and now, that have right. just been kind of lackluster. Um, right. And, and you're I, just, you feel like you're forcing it. I'm forcing it. And I've been doing longer workouts. Like just, I would say like a more classic workout, like a 45 minute or an hour or so uh, workout. And I've been doing like five, some five by five stuff. So just some things that are kind of taxing on my body. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm in my experimental week, which I've talked about on the podcast a lot. I like to do this week of uh, experimenting before my next four-week program. Right. And so this week I'm experimenting with a 15-minute uh, daily workout in the morning. 
uh and and so that and then that 15 minute workout is one day is just an explosive movement uh which which usually doesn't tax your body too much it it can it can low low reps right i'm doing a three by three on it yeah yeah so so low reps uh and then i'm doing i'm doing push-ups every single day so I'm doing uh, I'm 60 push-ups the first week, and I'm going to ramp it up to 100 push-ups by the last week um, okay. every single day this month uh, that I can sprinkle in throughout the day. So it's not like it's not like I wake up and do it in that 15 minutes. Right. Um, that 15 minutes is just for to do a little warm up and then do that three by three. Right. Um, and so that's my only uh, scheduled time for workout. The, the rest of my stuff is so it's doing those push-ups and then I'm doing the shin box extensions as you got as you yeah. Um, yeah and I have no set uh set reps or anything for those I'm just practicing that movement uh, as much as I can uh, yeah. which is for me is a lot I'll get down and just I'll just do like three or four of them and mm-hmm. and, and stop. Um, how do you do on the, how do you do on the decline with that? I'm curious. So like when you do the shin box extension, you extend up to a kneeling position yeah. from the shin box and then you go down back to the seated position. And I feel like a lot of times the hard, the sticking point with a lot of people is in that transition, for example. So the transition going up with the transition going down for you, I wonder if it's going down. That's, that's the hard. Do you plop when uh, you go down? Well, so I have a big imbalance here, right? I, I, so I've never done this exercise, by the way. I've I've gotten into the ninety ninety position a million times, and I right. normally, I normally stretch uh, with it, and like I'll do some like kind of just low stretches and switch sides. The regression to the shin box, you would right. say, right? Yeah. So so what I'm doing right now, uh, so the right side is good. And then the left side, I can't even transition my legs without moving them with my hand to the left side. Um, really? Uh, because I, I think I've talked about this before a few times. My my left leg, basically the left side of my left foot and my left calf, there's like barely any feeling in there because um, yes. I, I hurt I hurt my left foot like five five years ago or so probably like yeah you got some atrophy on the inside of your leg yeah so that outside of your hip has been having to work harder and getting tighter shit yeah (laughs) and so now don't get me wrong i mean i stretch it all the time but it's my it's my issue like whenever i have like a little flare-up injury it's always my my lower left hip um dude have you done much work with like your i'm gonna go back to toes i'm (laughs) (laughs) like your toes and feet like that left big toe and your left arch and your left that inside ankle you know we had a conversation no uh, we have a conversation we had a conversation on a couple podcasts ago about our feet and and i i mentioned i kind of mentioned this a little bit and so you said one thing that triggered me a lot is that it just takes a long time for it to wake up because Uh, and maybe you can probably explain it a little better, but uh, I guess it's not all connected very well. Right. And, and the, the um, I think of it like highways a lot of times in terms of the, uh, the blood flow or the, um, the neurological connections, the nerves yeah. that connect to each other. 
And I think of it like a highway um, that if everything's running well, you have a couple lanes on that highway and they're, they're wide open and there's not a lot of traffic and there's not a lot of backup or anything like that. Um, but when it comes down to like your feet and your hands, it, it gets those lanes get more narrow and the traffic is a little bit higher mm-hmm. because you have so many receptors in your feet and your hands, you know, and you have so many little joints in your feet and your hands. And so with that blood flow going through there at all the way to your extremities from the central part of your body being pumped through your heart, it, it creates an easy place for, for traffic jams to happen. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So if you, if you have some kind of atrophy or some lack of um, development or, or you're not getting blood flow or the nerves aren't connecting as well, it takes, it's harder to get in there and to get things moving. And also people don't work on their extremities very much or pay attention to their extremities until they're basically in pain. Right. Right. So, so my last four week, program i had some bulgarian split squats in there right and and so before uh as part of my warm-up for that day i really focused on moving my left foot as just as much as possible during the warm-up and really moving the toes and start like doing circle like ankle circles and doing some calf stretches and doing how is your range of motion in your feet uh well my my left foot is is horrible compared to yeah. my right, compared okay, so you to got my range of motion and strength possible issues then yes yeah okay well, yeah which takes a while right yeah um so i went to a physical therapist a while back for it and uh basically she gave me to do calf raises and a couple other little mobility things but nothing crazy uh, Could and you do I, a single leg calf raise with that foot? Can I do a single calf leg calf raise? Yeah. Uh, yes, but it's tough for me to push through my big toe uh, on my left Look foot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where on my yeah. right foot? Where on my right foot? I can push through my big toe, uh, but on my left foot, yeah. it's pretty hard to. But I can do it on my left toe, and and that's what I focus on. I mean, I I know it's an issue. So I really yeah. focus focus on that, and and I'm sure I could work more on it. Like I'm sure I could get you gotta a be obsessive bit. about it. Almost, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to give you a hard time about it, but it, it's a really good learning point for people, I think, to yeah. hear. Right, and how easy would it be for me to just keep that in my warm up, uh, you know, for a long time? But I did. I I had some calf raises in my warm up for. For like two years and and just like these little band calf stretches that the physical therapist taught me and and I never really felt I, I probably should go to a you know a, a doctor and get like the nerves and stuff probably checked out uh, it makes me wonder a little bit yeah like you might have to you might have to do some more aggressive things with it to you got to get it you got to get to a point where you feel like um you feel the connection better i know that's really vague but you got to get a couple of like aha moments in the muscle tissue and in that in the joints where you can grab onto those and then replicate them soon after and then repeat 
you know, it goes like that for, for any kind of movement, you know, that that makes sense because if I take 10 minutes and just do a bunch of ankle circles and really move all of my toes a lot, I mean, my range of motion increases pretty, pretty significantly. You feel like your inside of your calf or your big toe uh, is, is more activated. Like you're using more muscle fibers after you do stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. That's where you want to be. And then you want to like, jump on that train and revisit it as often as possible. But it takes, it takes a lot for you to do that though. Right. Right. Maybe you should coach me on this. Remember how we were were talking about this a little bit? Yeah. Because I mean, I'm not trying to scare you or anything, but you don't want to messing with your hips, you know, and you don't want to messing with your hips for a really long time because then you get a whole bunch. You you know how hips go go with people as they get older. Yeah. I don't want. Like, I, sure. I want to go on uh, long walks with you when you get older. <laughs> it can be hard. My my dad is like seventy years old, and he. I finally convinced him to go on. Well, I've talked about this on the pod a few times, right. but he he's been going on walks by himself like for the past like month. And but that's his every time he's like my hip hurts every single time. And I'm yeah. like, just keep on doing it, man, and uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Dude, that's a very good uh, example of something I see a lot, and I think people attribute it to genetics, and I think it's more heritable than than genetics. It's more um, it's more like a, environment turns on the genes. Or environment creates the situation that replicates what your ancestor or your, your the previous generation has done. Okay. So you know, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, my my whole family has bad hips," or "My whole family has bad posture." My whole family has it must be in the genes. Yeah. Right. Uh, and more often than not, I. I try not to shoot that down strongly, but I try to introduce the idea that you could be copying what your family does because when you are around those people, you're going to walk and talk like them, basically. Exactly. Because, like, how did you learn to walk? You know, you, you... we're in an environment that helped you do that. And then you had models to look at and replicate doing that. Yeah. You well, I just, I just read an article that said the, the number was 48%. And the, so it's 40 genes matter 48%. So there's 52%. And this is like just an article, right? Like, like, right. A, like a one study. There's a, it's probably not, it's a hundred percent accurate, but I think that's a good number. Like genes matter but everything else matters also. Right. And also look at studies like that 10 years prior. And I bet you will say genes matter more like okay. that. You're losing in that game over time. There's a trend in the other direction right okay. now in, in the research. And, and I think that's attributable. Have you heard of epigenetics? Uh, sort of. Yes. Okay, so I think that's attributable to epigenetics, which is a newer field that's come on in the last like 20 some odd years, I would say. Okay. Which basically means that you can have genes that lie dormant in your body and then eventually get turned on because of different environmental stressors. 
Right. Good and bad. Like, like, like addiction or something like that. Like we've talked about before, like it, it, it might be lying dormant in you or something like that, but then right. something, something can trigger you. And then all of a sudden that gene kind of shows itself. Right now, bone development, that's a little bit uh, more genetic. I would say um, there are things like what's called the Scottish hip, yeah. for example, mm-hmm. where your hip um, ball and capsule joint, the thing that goes around that ball and capsule has a, has a, um, has a bigger curve to it, I think over the top of the capsule. So like a deep squat is, is going to be nearly impossible for somebody with quote unquote, a a Scottish hip. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But they're, but they're really good at hinging. (laughs) So they can do like, they could, if their if their other limbs are, are in the right places, they can do really well with deadlifts. Now, so I know we want to do a, uh, an episode on evolutionary things pretty, pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get too far into it, but something like the Scottish hip, is that for, is that regional? Like if it's called Scottish hip, is that like regional to Scotland or like now, like can it get traced back to certain regions? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I would, I would assume so, but yeah, you could probably go farther and farther back. I wonder what the evolutionary adaptation is of that. We could do a little research and then when we get to that episode, that'd be a fun one to come back with. All right. Um, I like it. That sounds pretty cool. Put that, put that in the queue. (laughs) All right. So you're, that's your, we went away from your new program a little bit, but yes, but pretty much because I'm so lack of sleep, how are you going to do a new program? I'm going to do a daily 15 minute workout and then I'm going to sprinkle in my strength work, which is just going to be some push-ups for the next month or so um along like throughout the day so that when i'm watching my kid i can knock out 10 push-ups um but that's yeah. pretty that's pretty much I, I won't get into too much else i mean i'm gonna do some carries uh and mm-hmm. some some running in there uh but but nothing crazy uh, how about you i know you just started a new workout too yeah so i thought this would be really useful for us to share too because i actually had this conversation with a couple of newer clients recently because they just finished their first program and congratulations by the way that's awesome thank you (laughs) like three or four new clients recently actually um and it's been really it's always it's always fun new people you know Uh at least yeah and so um because they're new clients they're not most people aren't really used to having uh progressively overloading period period periodized periodized i can't say that word right periodized program for their for their strength which in a nutshell basically means a program that evolves with you on a scale that science has shown us to be the most effective which is usually like a four to eight week program most people that have a a regular routine we stick them with a four to six week program i would say um, when they're when they're newer, we'll, we might go to the towards that eight weeks a little bit more because they're going to get results for longer, you know, right. at first. And then as time goes on, they're going to be very well adapted to a bunch of things. So we're going to have to change it up a little bit sooner. But I think it's really important for people to understand that. So a little aside there. 
Um, but yeah, I got a new program going right now for myself. Uh, wrote it up in the journal and I wrote up a, I noticed I'm, I'm working out either in the basement or outside right now. And in the basement, I know what I can do and I have a lot of options, but outside I don't as much. Uh, although I have like an outside gym, so I'm, it's only I don't as much because I'm trying to hide from my children when I'm trying to get my workout <laughs> in. Basically, right. it's usually on a work day that I do my outside workout because I'm going around and going around the farm and whatnot. So I try, I get a little bit of extra time and then I'm like, okay, let's get a workout in now. Yeah. So I split it up into a indoors workout and an outdoors workout. Okay. So, I like it. And they're both very similar in terms of the areas that we're focusing on, but they're different movement patterns based on what I know I usually have available to me and what I, and what I want to work on right sure. now. Um, and that's been really useful. And I really like that a lot because it's been, it's been fun to do outside workouts a little bit more lately. Yeah. And this goes into um, the gut health revelation that I wanted to tell you about recently. All right. I'm excited. Yeah. So I haven't actually worked out outside hard, um, except for like out outs every once in a while for the past couple of summers, honestly. Oh, okay. Um, and p- people wouldn't notice it because like my heart and other people's heart are, are different. You know, like I, I can right now I'm using a 72 pound kettlebell for a lot of different movements. Yeah. You know? And like people look at me like that and they'll be like, that's crazy. You're, you know, you're strong, dude. <laughs> yeah. So like, I can still pass off like what looks like hard as being moderate with the workout a lot of times, but I haven't really been able to work out hard and like sweat hard for uh-huh. a while. Um, and the reason for that is not because like I can't push myself, but it's because it, I have, um, I have kind of like an eczema esque skin condition that I've had on and off, um, for a long time. Okay. But it, though, it's the most noticeable when I sweat a lot, basically. All and right. it, started, it started a little bit after, well, I actually had skin conditions even when I was younger too. So who knows when it started? And I got, I had gut health conditions as well. Okay. But, gosh, was it last year or two years ago? I can't remember now, but in the last year or two, I had the gut health issue where I was, I was kind of down for the count for a bit. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was last year. Yeah, it was last year. Okay. So it feels so long ago. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast for a year now. Are we? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, what's our one year anniversary? Do you I know? I don't know. We'd have to look it up. It you got to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically what that meant is that whenever I started to sweat a lot, I would get really itchy. And, and since I had that gut health issue, I've been much more strict with my food i would say and the things and paying attention to the things that affect my gut health more yeah and also what else have i been doing i i i'm i haven't been drinking much alcohol i've been i've been just trying to do a lot of really good things for my gut health yeah basically 
and my skin condition. I used to have, I have I have a little bit of blotchiness, like some blotchy red eczema looking spots. Okay. But we're like ninety percent less, I would say. Just from changing a few things. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't even notice it until recently because I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this outdoors workout in my new program. Mm-hmm. And it's been hot and I've been sweating hard. Yeah. And I've been pushing up the intensity and I've been staying hydrated. Don't forget to stay hydrated when it's really hot, by the way. Um, but I went to go take a shower the other night and I had a heat rash in my armpits. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I, but like heat rashes, I don't really notice very much unless I see it, you know? Like right. it doesn't, they don't itch for me very much whenever I got a heat rash. And I haven't gotten a heat rash in a really long time, but mainly because I haven't really worked out hard for right. a long time, you know, in the heat. And I, it made me remember that I'm not, I haven't been itchy in the heat for I don't know how long now. <laughs> it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And that's awesome. That's such a good revelation to have, right? Like that you, and then you actually see changes happen. Right, right. And what's crazy is, um, so I lost a lot of weight. Go ahead, go ahead. What what do you think was the change? Like, what do you think was the thing that most affected it? Like out of the things you changed? Um, I took out some, some, what I think were some major culprits and I added in, some major additions, I would say, on the regular. So if I were to pick, like, the top ones, I would say I took out alcohol, like I said, yeah. for the most part. Like, I really don't drink much alcohol now. Like, it doesn't even feel good when I drink. Like There's so much bad information about There's so much, like, uh, good information about how bad alcohol is for you out there now that it's it's crazy. It's a trend now, I think. I think I'm, like, trendy, like, not drinking alcohol right now. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people are not doing it. Uh, and just, they're they're seeing it. Somebody must be pissed because alcohol is getting bashed on hard right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and like it's not that bad. And there there are some health benefits for sure. But like when it comes to like performance and overall health, and especially if you got some weird issues that you can't figure out, and you're drinking on the regular, you know, yeah that's an obvious one that could make a big difference, you know? I think so. And I feel a big difference when I do do it every once in a while now, you know, because every once in a while I'll be like, oh, well, I wonder how this one feels. And I'm like, fuck, wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So um, alcohol was definitely one. Um, Dairy's another one. Okay. Uh, I, I Like before I wasn't doing a lot of dairy. I was only doing like cheese and butter. Yeah. Dairy wise, you know? But um, even that, like, I'm still doing a butter every once in a while now, but it's way, way less. Like, I'm not cooking in butter very much right now. Oh, okay. I'm actually cooking in, um, uh, like, tallow or duck fat, or I'll, or I'll cook uh, bacon on a low heat, and then I'll save the oil from the bacon, and I'll cook in bacon oil. Really? Yep. Okay, that's interesting because I'm heavy butter user, like uh, for for cooking. Yeah, I prefer butter for a lot of cooking things, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think butter's great for that because, little aside, 
you need, if you're going to be cooking with something where you're going to get to a point where it's a high heat and you want to like see your stuff or something like that, you need a cooking oil that's not going to um, degrade very quickly. And most cooking oils that people use nowadays, especially if they're like health nuts, but on the wrong track, I would say is olive oil. Okay. And olive oil has smoking, the smoking point of olive oil, which is when it starts to degrade is much lower than butter. Okay. Or other, or other saturated fats, for example, and people get scared of like the saturated fats for that reason. But I think it's really the, the dose makes the poison and the method makes the makes the issues. A lot now, of when, when you say something like you, you use tallow or fat or like that bacon grease, mm-hmm. what now, where's the, when someone hears bacon grease, they think that that's super not healthy. And right. just another little aside is man, last night I cooked, uh, some asparagus and mushrooms in bacon grease. And it was fantastic. It was so yeah. good. But anyway, uh, so when someone hears that, I mean, it sounds like it's way unhealthy. So where does that kind of lie on the healthy or unhealthy basis? And healthy and unhealthy also are very, very broad terms, I think, too. And so healthy for you versus healthy for everybody is can be very different. Sure. Yeah. And, And very relative to what you were doing before, for example. Right. You know, so uh, I think I think it's possible that some of those milk solids and some of those issues that I was having may not have been lactose specific. They might have been like casein specific, which is another amino acid that you find in milk, yeah. for example. That's not going to get taken out when you have um, like butter or uh, cheese as much and, and right. the cheese you have and all that kind of stuff. And I'll still have every once in a while I'll go somewhere where they have like only cheeseburgers, you know, somebody made <laughs> stuff like that. And it's not a big deal. And I won't notice a big difference. You know, it's not like alcohol where if I have a little bit, I, I notice it right away. Right. Um, I think the effects of dairy are a little bit more delayed with me. Okay. I would say. Yeah. And then um, the dosage, like I said, makes a big difference. Like I think I need a bigger dosage of dairy to notice it right away. Right. I would say, like, if I had a glass of milk, I think I would notice it pretty soon after. Like, I think yeah. I would be in the bathroom pretty soon yeah. after. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Versus, like, cheese, not so much, you know? Right. Uh, so, th- that's an interesting thing, because uh, a lot of uh, the, you know, fitness influencers and things like that, I always hear that uh, there's so many people out there that uh, that are, like, lactose intolerant. Um, and, but, you know, I, I, I just did some research. I don't want to even call it research, but I looked around online and I saw that the number of people who are lactose intolerant are pretty, the number's pretty low, actually. It's only like two to 4% or something like that, which is a lot of people, right? It's like millions of people, but, uh, that's still like a pretty low percentage. And a lot of the fitness influencers, Uh, that I was listening to before I did like my cleanse of social media and who are popular, you know, who have hundreds and thousands of followers uh, put out things like, you know, no one should drink milk and all this stuff. And I think it's just so it's such a personal thing uh, that, that that information is crazy online and you just got to be careful of what, what you do. Um, But that's just kind of like my aside. I wanted to go there. Uh, Be careful. be, Be careful what you see online. Yeah, well, this this plays into what we're talking about because I really 
don't think that there is as much lactose intolerance yet as you would see in popular media. Right. For example, I think a lot of intolerances and allergies that people are attributing to their health issues are more likely to be sensitivities due to the fact that intestinal and stomach health and liver health and kidney health, your digestive system, the digestive systems of our population are severely beat up and in a broken or semi-broken state on the regular. And those things are the most prevalent in the standard American diet. So you're getting the highest dosage of those things on the regular. So there's like a big percentage of people who, who their microbiome is like a certain way and who, who's eating kind of that standard American diet. And, and, and that you can kind of relate to things that are going into their body is going to have this kind of effect but really, since every single person is putting so many different things in their body, like the ecosystem in your gut is just so different that that like like you were saying earlier, it could be the casein casein in in milk, you know, right. or it's not a specific thing. It might be like a specific amino acid that is sensitive in your gut ecosystem because right. every little thing you put into your body is going to affect the other thing and how that affects your ecosystem. Right. And then, and then maybe like you put something in a while ago that, that beat things up, but you didn't notice it. And then it hasn't completely healed. And that makes you more susceptible to other things, you know, or you're in a high stress situation. So your hormone levels are high. So your gut is in this constant cramping esque stage, you know, where there's not a lot of space in there. So then you put something in there that is typically hard for you to digest. And then it just, but it doesn't usually kick your butt, but then it really kicks your butt. Man, the, the human body and the human mind is just the most interesting thing in the world. Like I love it. And we, we live in our own bodies and I feel like we don't know ourselves very much. And that's why I love talking to you because like just living that experimental life, really makes you learn so much about yourself and uh, and and just having your own fit quest and and taking, you know, really ha- like taking not control, but taking responsibility of your body uh, is so it's, it's such a cool thing because you can learn so much about yourself because of little things like this, like everybody's everything, every single little thing you put in your body is going to affect you. Like if you have that piece of cake on Friday night, and then on Sunday morning, you have something that could be sensitive to that that cake that you had before it's out of your body. Then all of a sudden, you can have an issue. And and the more you notice, the more you track, the more you realize all these things, just the healthier you become over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, which reminds me, um, the things that I added for, for gut health. I said things I subtracted. I want to say the things I added yes. so that way. Because you don't want to just think about subtraction because then a lot of times people feel really deprived. You know, like I can't have the things I like. And if you're trying to do stuff like this, I don't really suggest cold turkey unless you're really in a state where you're just beating yourself up more constantly and you can't you can't function, you know. Right. But it's funny because when you can't function, it's easier to cut things out. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, anything, anything is better than the current state of not being able to function anymore you know 
Exactly. Those are weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird like that, which is that that gut health, mind, gut connection, you know, that that happened with me in this example. But the things I added, um, I would say I'm much more staying on top of my electrolytes. Okay. Keeping my electrolyte balance. Like, I think that helps a lot because I, it feels like my gut's not dry. You know, I don't know how to how to explain that. It doesn't feel as dry. Okay. Okay. Um, belly breathing was, was and continues to be huge for me. Right. Huge, huge. And, and, and it's so accessible and easy to do once you figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really just like slowing things down, paying attention to where the air is coming in, paying attention to how that feels. Yeah. So letting the air go out, refilling and and repeating, you know? Right. It really feels cleansing taking some of those really big breaths. Yeah. And when I was when I was really hurting, that was one of the few things that gave me relief is just belly breathing standing up, belly breathing lying down, trying not to constrict my stomach too much yeah. with clothing and things of that nature, for right. example. Oh, I have a client going going through some gastritis right now who's actually experiencing very similar things. I'm going through a very similar uh, gut health protocol with her. Uh, so I said belly breathing, electrolytes, and then I've, I've been adding some supplements like uh, collagen. I've been trying to have more collagen okay. more regularly, and I've been trying to have um, – I found that miso soup, which I've heard other people talk about in terms of gut health. Yes. Something really useful for lining the gut. Right. Especially like that paste, the the paste that you get, that miso paste. Yep, yep. And then what else has been really useful gut health wise? Now, if, you, if you Google that while you're thinking about that, if you Google this, like what I always see for gut health is probiotics and fermented food and drinks. Yeah, so both of those, I think of the two, I would lead more towards the fermented food and drinks. But if you're beat up, Sometimes fermented foods can beat you up more. Okay. Um, so I would be I would be careful with the fermented foods as much. And the probiotics, I have yet to hear somebody tell me that taking probiotics has helped them drastically. Especially when I dig further and I ask them about what other things they've done for their gut health. Okay. And hey, this I'm, is interesting I'm because those are, probiotics say it that way. Okay. Cause this is interesting. Cause that's what people talk about a lot, right? Cause when you have the fermented foods or like a yogurt or like, I know some of the, like the fitness people, like the, what do they call fitness optimizers? You know, they'll, they'll have like a culture of yogurt and mm-hmm. that's, they'll, they'll use that culture over and over like Mm -hmm. that specific culture and they'll, and so it'll, it'll ferment. And I'm not, I'm not too sure what the process, but doing that for your yogurt is like awesome for your stomach. But to me, that just sounds like, sounds gross, you know? So I wouldn't want to try (laughs) it. And all those cultures that you're creating from the fermented food and all that kind of stuff, that's what's in those probiotics, right? Like it's like certain. Yeah. But it's, but like, are they alive still? Right, right. No, when you get them, how's it being transported to you? 
okay. how long has it been sitting in your in your cabinet? You know, has it been in an area where it's been exposed to light a lot? What color is the bottle, for example? Do you have do you have do you already have a high amount of that bacteria in your stomach? And adding more would that actually be useful, or are you not getting enough? of that bacteria to actually make a difference because you have so much of another competing bacteria that it's just going to eat it up and not do shit for you. No pun intended. There's not a lot of really conclusive evidence on an individual basis for, for probiotics. Honestly, there's large scale um, <sighs> studies on lactobacillus on mm-hmm. in yogurt, for example, that, that show, significant small significant benefits in on large scales but those a lot of those studies look a lot like i could probably find the people who who signed off on the grants and link it to a company yeah who are paying for it right Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's kind of what i was wanted to point out is that like when you google something like how do i fix gut health it's going to show probiotics and it's going to show products. And so every time you Google something, that's what's going to show first. And you need to make sure that it's right. And I love what you're saying. And then you click on it and then your cookies know that you did that. And then it reads your cookie history. And then when you Google it again, you're going to see more of it. Right, right. So usually the best plan of action, instead of spending 30 bucks on some probiotics and... and More than that for some of them too. Right. And, or, and, and then buying a bunch of kombucha and, you know, stuff like that, instead of doing all that kind of stuff, really focus. On, I mean, cause, cause you're just shooting in the dark, right? If you're buying those cultures, like you said, you don't know if that's the culture that's going to be helpful for you. You're so, literally shooting in the dark. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, get with a coach who can, uh, who can walk you through the process of kind of going back into like a homeostasis, getting your body into homeostasis and just kind right. of level it out. And then go from there to figure it out because you really need to kind of get it back to normal before you can figure out what's affecting you. I, I like to assume an inflamed gut first a lot of times versus oh, like yeah. allergies. Because say it this way, it, allergies will cause an inflamed gut. Um, intolerances will cause an inflamed gut. I Imbalances. I, imbalance of your bacteria will cause an inflamed gut you know all those different things will cause inflammation in your gut or and possibly in your other organs as well you know so we want i like to think of it overall as inflammation and how do we improve that inflammation or decrease that inflammation right overall and that that tends to give people a little bit more clear direction on where they can go and figure out like what are the lifestyle factors that I can change to reduce my total inflammation. And it might not even be food specific at first. Now, does it mean when someone says inflammation, does that mean to go to the store and go buy some NSAIDs? Right. Yeah. So that what's the answer to that? No. Right. (laughs) That's not the answer. (laughs) No. But how many people, when you say that your body is inflamed, how many people will say, should I get some NSAIDs? Well, NSAIDs are less, uh, NSAIDs, the acronym is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, right? I forget what the D is. 
Oh yeah, I'm not sure. Drug. Drug. No, drug. Anti-inflammatory drug. So they don't exactly reduce inflammation all over the place, though. No, it's not completely accurate in terms of the things that are under the category of NSAIDs. So let's take ibuprofen, for example. Ibuprofen can improve increase inflammation in other organs when you take it. So is that an anti-inflammatory then? Right. Exactly. You know? If we're talking about the whole body, like if you anti-inflame some areas, are you inflaming other areas? Then what's your net inflammation? <laughs> right? Well, yeah, this is interesting. And then also a lot of those anti-inflammatories, quote unquote, or the NSAIDs, things that fall under the category of NSAIDs, will blunt your ability to feel pain from the inflammation but they won't reduce the inflammation. Okay. All right. So now we cleared up. Don't go to the store and buy some NSAIDs. So how would you take, start taking care of inflammation? So <laughs> you could, you could take NSAIDs to help you paint with the pain and help you, um, you know, just get, a, get through your day. For example, I'm not trying to like bash on them that bad. Like I'll take an ibuprofen if things are real bad every once in a while, you know, but not, not for inflammation of your stomach. No, not for inflammation. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest that. One of my top ones is really like uh, a good quality digestive enzyme blend from a high quality company. Like I really like Thorn, for example. T H O R N E. Yeah. I've been doing that for a while, which is probably why I didn't actually say it before. But I've been taking digestive enzymes, gosh, for a good bit. And they're just called digestive enzymes. So like the thorn one, would that be biogest? I don't know. I haven't looked at their most recent one. But if you look at it, it probably has things like protease, lutease, lactase, glutease, a lot of different aces in them. And the reason I say find a good company because some of these some of these uh, digestive enzymes, the, the potency can be all over the place. Okay. And that's because they have anything that has multiple ingredients in it. You got to be really careful about the ratio of those ingredients. And if that supplement company is consistent with that ratio of the ingredients. And a lot of companies aren't, honestly. Right. And some of them think they are, but then they go and get their place tested, for example, by a third party. And they find that, oh, the vat that they're mixing this shit in, they're mixing other shit in, and they didn't clean it out very well. So you're going to get residue from that other stuff, and your stuff's going to stick to that stuff. So then you're not going to have this, the stuff that you think is in it right. as much as you want, you know? Because who knows, the AC went out or the power went out, you know, not just in Josh's house, but across in China somewhere where they're, where they're mixing these things and sending them over. Yes. Man, I have a gross fact. Do you want to hear real quick? Yeah. So my friend lit, worked at a manufacturing plant for tomato sauce. Uh, and it was like a big tomato sauce company, you know, because these these plants, they make like all the tomato sauces. So like, say like Ragu or whatever, a bunch of different uh, brands. Right. right. And one day they opened up like a, one of the packages and mm-hmm. there was a million spiders in there. And and those packages, they get dumped into these huge vats that are like, you know, like extremely huge. 
And my friend was like, okay, we got to throw this thing away, man. Uh, like to his boss. He's like, there's a million spiders in here. This is disgusting. And the guy was like, uh, looked at it and was like, eh, we're allowed uh, like 0.7% spiders. It's what I was going to say. And, and and they just dumped a bunch of spiders uh-huh. in tomato sauce. And, mm-hmm. and they were like, they were like, it's all good. And so mm-hmm. anyway, so anything you eat at the store, like there's a percentage that's like allowed of like bugs and like all sorts of crazy, like all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's disgusting. So supplement and supplements aren't regulated unless they're getting third party tested. And so I would definitely recommend checking out only like only using su- uh, supplements that are third party tested. Yeah, and it's really useful to find companies that you trust and you've done a little bit of research on that that make quality supplements, I would say. I mean, I'm just as guilty as other people. Every once in a while, I'll just buy some random supplement on Amazon, for example, for a specific uh, idea or need or experiment, you know? Sure. But there are a couple of like brands that when I'm really trying to figure shit out, I stick with them and they might be a little bit more expensive, but like if you're trying to do a good experiment, you need to know what you're getting is what you expect to be getting. I would say. Exactly. So the digestive enzymes definitely helped with your, your gut. Well, those are one of those ones that continue to help. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I try not to be too dependent on them. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I could eat more stuff if I took them beforehand. You know, like people can take a uh, lactase, for example, and then have an ice cream cone. Yeah. Yeah. For example. And I try not to do that very much, honestly. Well, because it's, it's cool when you are eating fairly clean and you decide to eat something. I mean, you can get a, a lot of feedback from what you eat. Exactly. And- and so if you're using these things that block it, then you're you're not getting the proper feedback that you need as a human and that your body needs uh, to be able to reject or not reject the food that's coming in. Right. And I get that it is easier for us to say in some way because this is our job, you know, so like part of our brain power and our energy is actually devoted towards figuring these things out for ourselves. Yeah, more so because this is what we do, you know, um, harder probably now that you're, you're more of a full-time dad, right. <laughs> and figuring that out. But, harder, but more rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's spoken like a true parent. <laughs> yeah. But that's been, that's been a really, that's been a really interesting change and thing I've noticed recently that I'm really, I'm really happy with. Now I just got to, I, it was weird cause I went down in weight and then I went down in weight when I had the gut health issues and now I've gone up in weight since I've healed my gut more. Okay. And I want to try and get my weight down without adding too much stress to my gut. Oh, good. And which can be tough depending on how you've done it before. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So one of the things that I've been doing and we've been talking about it is the, like the minimalist esque programs in the meantime. And that's been feeling really good, but I wanted to get into more of like a regular program. So me starting this regular program, we're going to see, we're going to see how it goes, but I'm kind of excited, but I just got to make sure my recovery is in the right place basically as I do it. I'm excited for you, man, on this never ending fit quest. Yes. Yes. All right. You got anything else today? 
I think that's I think that's it. I think we uh I think we covered most of it. That was a good amount of time too. All right. Sounds good. Well, it was great talking to you, Mike. Yes, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, guys. See ya. Cheers.